We are your evening explorationists. Please, allow me to show you something. Welcome to an episode where two average and definitely unqualified college students analyze and reflect on lessons in literature and relate them to past, present, and future experiences. And for more cool shit, head up our website listed in the description for more episodes, merch, and well, even more cool shit. So you've got no money in the bank, you're deep in college or even out of it, and you think, where am I going next? Hey guys, it's Nate. And hey, it's Cody. Welcome back to another episode from your Evening Explorationist. And today we will talk about t- taking a step back to understand the steps you should take to be successful. The book, The Psychology of Money by psychologist Morgan Housel, has provided an exuberant amount of information regarding success, in particular finance. Over the next few episodes, we'll be breaking down the nature of success, what success is, and how to achieve it. So let's start out today with talking about the importance of perspective. So there's a story in Buddhism. Um, It's regarding perspective, and I won't go super into detail. Um, I just kind of want to talk about the main points of the story. So very vaguely, uh, basically there's four sons and an elder. Um, the sons had asked the elder to bring them to this ancient tree. The elder took this opportunity to teach these sons about perspective. Um, it, he showed them each individually uh, different parts of the tree at different times. So he took the eldest, eldest of the sons, and he showed him the tree um, at the time when the buds were just sprouting from the stem. The second one he showed when the leaves were green. The third, the time of the blossoming. And the fourth, when it was bearing fruit. The elder asked them their responses. The eldest said it's a boring stump. The second had related to a banyan tree. And I looked this up because I didn't know what it was. It's a massive tree um, with uh, many branches. It, it looks pretty sick, actually. Um, I kind of want you to look it up, too. Um, it kind of looks like the one from Pocahontas, the willow tree or whatever. Um, back to the story. The, the third claim, it's similar to a piece of meat, which I don't really know what that means. Um, I don't know how you describe a tree <laughs> like a piece of meat. Um, and the youngest said it looked like an acacia. And afterwards, they were perplexed, you know. Uh, they were perplexed as how to see the the other sons the way they described it. Um, the tree was totally impervious to their own perspective as the way the others had described it. The elder understands that this tree is truly a spectacle. And its ancient value is just so um, immersive and immaculate. Um, and this taught the sons a valuable lesson regarding perspective. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce this quote. Uh, it says, quote, every job looks easy when you're not the one doing it because the challenges faced by someone in the arena are often invisible to the, to those in the crowd, quote. This idea of perspective, it's it's really interesting and you kind of have to look at it also from another person's point of view, I think. Yeah, you. the story kind of has this idea running around my head and we've all learned this lesson. The story of, or not the story, the analogy that says, walk a mile in their shoes. So we often hear this and I mean, I didn't really understood or understand what this meant until I was a little bit older. And this lesson has uh, this idea of empathy and empathy is truly important whenever it comes to growing and maturing. And then that also steps into perspective where perspective is an important part of growing up and maturing into your 
your true self, the person you really are, the creator of you. And that's a mantra that we have been heavily discussing, especially since um, we had discussed the secret. Now, perspective and empathy have had a huge part in my life, where when I was younger, through my church, I would volunteer my time around Christmas to take to the streets in my local city and feed the hungry. The weather would be below freezing, and I would be covered head to toe in warm clothing, but I was still cold. However, I could not complain to my mother who was standing right beside me as I helped feed the hungry because these people who were either very needy or homeless had nothing but rags on their back. So how can I be freezing? And these people are also freezing, but they're, they're dealing with it. And so standing across from them was a little boy in a hat, mittens, winter coat, pants, and boots. So our realities were far different. Uh, my perspective said it was cold, and their perspective said it was cold, but that wasn't their number one problem. Their number one problem was, I'm hungry. And the cold was the least of their problems because they've dealt with so many things be before, but my perspective, it was cold. Their perspective was far different than mine. It was humbling to me to see what people really dealt with in their daily lives. So perspective and empathy are two boxes that should be checked as you are maturing into your true self. Yeah, and and the big thing that this book stresses is that no one's crazy, right? Everyone has a reason, you know, it's their environment. We'll talk about the environment uh, in a bit, but it's really about how you were brought up and what you were taught um, and things like that. Like, oh my gosh, I would, as someone who lives in the warm, I would never want to go to Pennsylvania and <laughs> do this task as great as I might feel about someone else. I have to work on me. So that's, that's not me personally, but I'm giving you another perspective, um, to add to that. And I want to tell a story about my grandparents, um, to, to kind of emulate what's crazy and what's not. Um, so one, one set of grandparents was born around the great depression. Um, they had passed away, unfortunately. Um, so I can't get their personal account, but this is from account from one of my relatives that they just straight saved. Like they didn't invest in anything, literally all just, tr I just remember, um, trash bags on trash bags, just in, um, their drawers, just random decks of cards, anything they can save. And the other set of grandparents was born around 20 years later. Um, actually I think it was my great grandparents that were during the great depression. <laughs> now that I think about it, that sounds a little, <laughs> a little skewed, but, um, yeah, so one, one other set was born 20 years later, um, you know, say the 40s, uh, industrialization and such, all this um, pr production in the Americas. So they started to invest, you know, and in this Great Depression family that raised them, they really came from nothing, and they had to further their financial freedom. And those grandparents, the one during the 40s, um, they were able to start investing in the late 90s where they began to learn about it and they both have masters and they uh they attended college um and now they held multiple shares of apple amazon and other large companies they they hit the front head of investing so that that's that's kind of a real example of um what's crazy and what's not you would nowadays everyone's about oh robin hood this oh bitcoin this you should invest but back then they were just trying to survive so it's really about perspective yeah, your analogy fits perfectly into this idea of perspective. And you're right. People during and after the Great Depression were scared for their lives. They did not want to see their money lost again because people lost a lot, a lot of money. I can't even fathom it. And 
Whereas when the economy started to grow, people noticed businesses starting to boom, and they also noticed citizens earning financial gains and started to invest in companies with their own assets, like you had just described. And this is just one example of how perspective and one's environment uh, affects people's choices. So coming coming from an older generation where you're affected by external uh, forces that are going to be different from 20 years down the road that are different things are playing playing a factor into what your life looks like. So to understand perspective, we have to take a step back and think about what things you can't control, such as risk and luck. So in 1968, there were 18 million high school students in the United States of America. 270,000 of those lived in the state of Washington, and 100,000 of those lived in Seattle, and only 300 attended Lakeside High School where Bill Gates was lucky enough to go to a school that had the resources to get one of the only computers in the nation so that he and his peers could dive into computer science. Now, the book goes into detail about how he actually got that, how the school got the money for it, and why it wasn't given to some university, but I'm not going to get into that. That's the main point of it. And he told the graduating class of 2005, quote, there had been no lakeside there would have been no microsoft now so that's that is a definition of luck this guy who is smart as hell goes to this one high school that has the, one of the main computers in the entire united states now again in this situation bill gates was lucky uh, bill gates and peers paul allen and ken evans uh, were the three amigos in high school they were geniuses and Gates and Allen eventually went on to pursue Microsoft um, whereas Evans had died in a mountaineering accident. Gates experienced a once in a million luck whereas Evans experienced a once in a million risk. Now your environment is tricky because it's basically based on luck. I mean you think about the example we just talked about they don't get to choose what time period they live in. Some people live in the Great Depression, some people live in you know, the Civil War. It, it just, it's luck. You, you can't really select when, where, or how you're born. So essentially, it's entirely out of your control. And I mean, at least at an adolescent stage, you can't choose who you're brought up by. Um, in, in relation to our previous episodes, we did talk about a, a Herculean moment um, in that you are on the path of life. And now, once you've grown out of that phase, you can choose uh, where you want to go despite your circumstances. Um, it's important then to emulate successful people's patterns. On the contrary, simply successful people. Yeah, so I, I like what you're saying, but here, in my opinion, it's important to look at the process taken by anyone you deem successful, not necessarily comparing one person's success to another person, uh, because going back to what we talked about earlier, it is about perspective. So take a mentor in your field, a famous inventor or rapper per se, uh, ask yourself what path did they take to get to where they are? In my opinion, success is what you think it is. I can't tell you what success is. Your parents can't tell you what success is. It is all about your perspective and your environment. So reflecting back to our conversation about stoicism and the law of attraction, stoicism says that nothing is good nor bad, only things that really relate to your goals. And the law of attraction then says that you are the creator of you. So the lesson here in on success is perspective. So I keep going back to this idea of perspective. So I think it's very important to Keep wrapping your head around it and keep listening to what we have to say about uh, the psychology of money and 
it all comes down to what do you think is good enough to be deemed successful? Right. You don't want to be a dick. You don't want to, you know, reach out to someone who got rich by the age of 30 and be like, oh, you did this um, immorally or this is not how you get wealthy. You know, it's, it's important to keep an open mind. But let's talk about the two types of success, or at least financially. This can also apply to any other um, part of life. So success is different for everyone, right? And so that's why you're able to compare the get-rich-quick people to the wealthy ones. And we'll define wealth, we'll define rich um, in the next episode. Um, But you think about the way we listen to music. Now, a lot of the popular music is about getting rich quick, and doing that, a lot of a lot of rappers, and I, I listen to rap. I listen to um, uh, pop music too. So I'm not shaming it. I'm just saying that you know they'll blow up on TikTok or YouTube or Spotify or whatever, and then you'll forget about them, right? And then and then they won't have any more income. That this is not wealth. This is getting rich. You know that they confront others. Um, let me think. They, they write about how much money they have and blasting your way to the top is the entire concept of popular songs today. That's that fake. Um, that fake wealth, that popularity. So again, don't get me wrong, I, I enjoy rap, <laughs> but I wouldn't pursue its aspirations because you can't reach, like, say, a Bill Gates level of wealth, typically. Um, besides, you know, big boys like Jay-Z, uh, who's a businessman, not a businessman. Um, it's harder to lose your riches than wealth because you only know how much you have. Right, so we... So now we've established this risk and luck situation to our first environment. So it's like a risk and luck. Uh, You can't really control it. And then how you choose to live following your upbringing, the risk and luck is then put onto you. Now, both risk and luck happen and you can't really avoid it. Since the world is too complex for your actions to completely follow your intentions, Now, I have a quote here that says, when judging others, attributing success to luck makes you look jealous and mean, even if we know it exists. And when judging yourself, attributing success to luck can be too demoralizing to accept. So I kind of, I wanted to take more of a personal look at it where similar to what we had talked about with stoicism and the law of attraction, things in our lives are simply out of our control, especially as Nathan said, in our adolescent stage. No, it is important to consume this lesson. You cannot control every piece of your life. It's it's simply just not possible, and you will drive yourself mad trying to do it. Now, for me, instead of trying to combat the unknown and fear what might be on its way, I have taken these lessons in stride and learned from them. For instance, at school, I got heavily involved with clubs and organizations on my campus. So a friend of mine, and I co-founded a leadership development academy on campus. Our ideas of teaching leadership were great, and we had high expectations of all the amazing things we could do for these students. And we, we had this great vision, we've put a lot of work in. But unfortunately, after all of our hours of planning and hard work, we were notified that we did not have the proper certifications to teach these students about our ideas of leadership. Politics, man. (laughs) It it honestly hurt. It honestly hurt. And so with all 
this or with this uh, came a takeover of our program from the university. Now, this organization did not reach the full potential we thought it might have when my friend and I were discussing our plans. So with all of this, he left the organization and I ended up staying and have tried to learn how to really bring the most out of our program. And so I did. With the help of advisors and other student leaders, I was able to help students really learn as much as they could from the program. I learned a valuable lesson in all of this, not being able to control a portion of my life, but taking it in stride and learning. So then I got to ask, how do you continue with, uh, with that? I think one way is goals, you know, and how do you set those goals and stick to it? And that's different for everyone. You know, think about the previous episodes in regarding the law of attraction, you know, where we discussed mindset, practice, and gratitude. The main point that, that the book talks about is how to get those goals, or they, they say goalposts, to stop moving, you know, so you can actually aim for a target instead of, um, instead of you know, just keep going with the flow and just getting down on yourself when things get hard. Right, so those are some of the most really important questions when talking about goals, like how do you stick to them? I honestly do not have a great answer for this. It's truly something that has to come from within you, but I will say that motivation and perseverance are the two largest pieces to reaching your goals and sticking to them. And if you kind of look at these two items as each being a part of an umbrella where your goal, say, um, your perfect job, like your perfect job sits on top of there, right? And underneath of those, you have two branches. You have motivation on one side and you have perseverance on the other side. So uh, underneath the motivation, it's going to house your short, short-term achievements that will help you reach that goal and things you need to remember as positives from achieving that overarching end goal. Now, on the other side, you have labeled perseverance. Under this, you have encouraging words, lessons of hard work and success. You have your thoughts and feelings towards this goal. How badly do you want it? You have to persevere through all of the bad and feel the good to get to that end goal. Now, when you look at a combination of these two items, you have a path for success, a true gateway to that goal you want to achieve. Your umbrella can contain many ideas and pieces, but you must remember every piece from within you and all the external factors are crucial parts to attaining that end goal. But you got to understand, things are going to change. And one of the great, one of the biggest ways that your goals change is social comparison. Like, you know, what does he think of my status symbol? How, how much money do I have compared to him? How much does he think I have? How will I know I will be satisfied with enough? Blah, blah, blah. The book ultimately follows a script that, quote, the inability to deny a potential dollar will eventually catch up to you, quote. Trying to meet everyone's expectations will only result in disappointment, honestly, and and envy. It can be used as a tool, as, as fuel to get you to that goal, but as long as you don't fall victim to the other's accomplishments and, you know, put a dampen in your success and be sorry, then then you'll be on your way. Right. And your questions of what does he think of my status symbol? How much money do I have in comparison to him? How much does he think I have? And, and so on are all real things. We all ask those. But despite only being a college student, I have done this with my close peers in the past, and after learning the hard lessons of envy and comparison, it goes back to the idea of perspective. It does not matter what the outside is saying or doing. If it makes you happy or you believe in you are being successful, that is all that matters. 
Yeah, and I think determining how much is enough in terms of finances can be a great solution. You know, know that time and, and goals may change based on your environment, which is the the basic theme of the book. Um, when the thing you desire prioritizes what what makes you truly happy, you're going to be unsatisfied. And, and on the other hand, you know, not devoting enough time to achieve the desire. Um, it will be complemented with an unsatisfied nature. So, so it's really about finding that balance between you know not doing too little to just settle for less, and also not jeopardizing your freedom, power, and family. And in light of finding balance, we need to talk about houses. Who doesn't love talking about houses? Specifically, we'll talk about the housing bubble in the 2000s. So, data from this era concludes that houses flipped in a year had risen five times during the bubble, from 20,000 in 2000 in the first quarter to 100,000 in 2004. This flipping method then dropped less than 40,000 the next quarter, where it's been stagnant ever since. The only thing that these investors cared about was the price of the current house in the following month or months. Now the book says, quotes, bubbles form when the momentum of short-term returns attracts enough money that the makeup of investors shifts from mostly long-term to mostly short-term, quote. And by understanding these bubbles, we can understand the importance of knowing your horizons. So let's say you want to be a long-term investor. Should you really listen to the guy on the finance channel shouting buy now? And I mean, this this correlates to the to those who we listen to in life. You know, how the people that give us advice and who we're around can either lift us up or misconstrued our vision to something we truly don't desire. And we'll talk about strategies for long-term investing in the following episode, but but it's important to mention you know, when alluding to this situation of knowing your environment and knowing who you're around. Right. I, I really don't think enough people know this, and I'm really glad that you brought it up. There is a lesson to be learned from who we choose to listen to in our life. Like you said, if you are in it for a long-term investment, don't listen to the people on the TV telling you to buy, sell, buy, sell. Now, this person might be a friend of yours, but their goals and perspective is quite different. So choose someone new who has similar goals to you and associate with them and associate with people who will be in it with you for the long run. No harm, no foul to your friend who doesn't have the same ideas, but you need to be in it for you, not an external perspective. And it's important to remember remember this assistance from others and help when you finally become happy and can help others. Now, I have a quote here from Angus Campbell, a psychologist at the University of Michigan, and they said, having a strong sense of controlling one's financial life is a more dependable predictor of positive feelings of well-being than any of the objective conditions of the life we have considered. That's quite a lot of words, but so what does this really mean? And I have some ideas here. And so this quote is interesting, right? We talk so often about how we need to let go. We need to let things flow freely in a world where control is so heavily sought after. However, whenever it comes to finances and financial awareness, having full control of your assets is one of the best feelings in the world. We have all been there where we have worried about the money coming in and going out. Where will I get my next dollar? How can I make more? Will I have enough? Now, the question for me becomes, why are these thoughts so prevalent in a world where money is incorporated into every piece of our lives, our paycheck, car, uh, groceries, house, anything you can think of has a price and has most likely had money involved. It's a broken system, mm. right? So yeah. where people are unaware of their finances, yet everything they do revolves around money. <laughs> 
So how do we fix it? Right. <laughs> and so we have to gain control of our finances, learn about financial literacy, and take time to learn about the assets that make the world go round. It truly is easier said than done, but it is crucial to start thinking and taking control of your finances. That is some powerful shit right there. Well done, Cody. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, do a quick recap here as we finish up uh, about what we learned today. So because that was a lot of information. First thing is understand that you cannot control your environment at first, and being open to looking at life in different perspectives is the first step to progressing towards success. Number two, once that happens, establish a specific goal to set your heart onto, but know that it may change as life progresses. Three, as you reach that goal, figure out how much is enough and how to be satisfied. This is unique to you, and this may change along with your environment, so trust the process. Thank you for listening to Your Evening Explorationists. We'll talk to you next time.